Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. I'm excited to be here. I'm extremely excited to be here for a couple of reasons. The first is I have many friends and former students who have gone to Hill City and have said great things about the church, so I'm glad to be here for that reason. I'm also excited to be here today because we're going to discuss one of the most celebrated passages in all the Bible. In fact, it's one of the most celebrated passages in all of world literature, and it's the 19th Psalm. So I invite you to turn there in your Bibles or pull it up on your phone if you'd like to follow along. We'll also have it on the screen for you. The 19th Psalm has been richly resonant in the lives of hearers and readers for literally thousands of years. The reason for its popularity is no secret. There are many reasons for its popularity. It has extremely engaging language. It has a marvelous and fascinating parallelism of ideas, which is, of course, the hallmark of Hebrew poetry. And in its concepts, it takes us into the outermost reaches of the cosmos. And from there, it turns and it delves into the innermost reaches of the human heart, and it connects the two. And if we can see that connection, if we can understand that connection, if we can live it, it'll revolutionize our lives. So let's read the 19th Psalm together. You'll see at the beginning of the Psalm, it says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, as you've been told in previous sermons in the series, this is poetry, this is a song that we are gonna be reading together. I'm just gonna read it though. I think that's best. You don't wanna hear me singing it. So we're just gonna read through this Psalm that again has been so popular and so resonant in people's lives for thousands of years. Verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray together. 
Lord, please be with us this morning as we explore your word. We just read about how powerful it is. We ask that your power would flow through your word into our lives today to help make us better. Help us to understand what you would have us to understand. Help us to apply what we learn and live it out in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's start with a quick survey of the psalm to get the kind of 30,000-foot view of the psalm, and then we'll dive in and look at some of the specifics. So the psalm is written in three sections. In the first section, we read that God's glory is manifested in a universally understandable manner in the sky, in the heaven. And this section ends, notice, with a description of the sun. The sun, it's worth noting, is the most important celestial body for us on earth, not only because it gives us most of our light, but also because, here's a little bit of junior high science for you, all right, photosynthesis in plants makes all life on earth possible, and so the sun quite literally gives us light and life. In the second section, the word of God is praised. Because the word of God is so powerful in our lives, it is said to be more valuable than treasures and sweeter than honey. It's important to note here, the power that framed the cosmos, the glory and the majesty that framed the cosmos flows through the word into individual lives and individual hearts. And notice the particularly satisfying poetical flourish here in verse 8, where it says that the word of God enlightens the eyes. That Hebrew poetical parallelism between the word of God and the sun. Just as the sun gives us light and life on our planet, so the word of God gives us light and life in our souls. The power of God working through it. Then in the final section, and this is vitally important, I dare say it's the most important section, the psalmist, David, takes these grand theological reflections, these meditations, and he makes them personal. David cries out to the God who framed the heavens and who works through his word, and he opens his heart to this God, and he says, I need you in my life. And that's the psalm in short. But let's go through now each of these individual sections, and we'll have three points, one for each section. The first point is this, recognize God's greatness and power. Recognize God's greatness and power. In the sky, we see a universally understood message about God's glory. We see his beauty in the sky, in white clouds. We see his power in whirlwinds, in tornadoes, in storms, in lightning. We see his precision and rationality in the nightly processions of the stars. And in the sun, we see a lot of things. The sun is given due credit here uh, for showing God's glory. We see brightness, we see life, we see radiance, and I think we could even say that we see something of God's energy, his dependability, and even his joy in the sun every single day. You remember that God's happy, right? God is happy. Jesus said he came so that his joy, the divine joy, could be experienced by his followers. I think we see some of that happiness in the sun. And of course, these days, we know even more about the glory of the heavens than they did in David's time, don't we? We've got scientists and the Hubble telescope telling us about the amazing nature of the sky and what we see when we look up at night and what we don't see when we look up at night. So I want to take just a moment to talk science for a minute and math, okay? But don't tune out because I think you'll, I think you'll appreciate this. You know, when you say science and math, some people are like, no, I'm not interested in that. Okay, but I think you'll be interested in this, so hang with me. Scientists in the last five years have come up with a new estimate of the number of galaxies in the observable universe. 
the number of galaxies in the observable universe. Each of these galaxies, conservatively, is going to have about 100 billion stars in them, and even more planets, okay? So 100 billion stars. So we've got a new estimate of the number of galaxies in the observable universe. Not the whole universe, just what we can look at. Here's the number. Brace yourselves. Two trillion. So this is the estimate from the last five years of the number of galaxies in the observable universe. Now, if you're like me, you hear the number trillion, and you think, that's a lot. <laughs> you think, that's a big number. But it doesn't compute, right? My mental wiring just kind of you know, goes off whenever I hear trillion. I don't understand how big that is. So I did some research to find out if I could wrap my mind around trillion. The answer is no, I can't. But I can get a little bit closer, and so I'm going to invite you to join me here in a little thought experiment. We're going to use time, something that we all intuitively understand, to help us understand this number trillion. All right? So we're going to start with a basic unit of time, a second. One limousine, right? one Mississippi, my personal favorite. One hippopotamus. So, one hippopotamus, two hippopotamus, three hippopotamus, dot, 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 a million hippopotamus. If we have a million seconds, that's 12 days. All right, let's do a billion. One hippopotamus, two hippopotamus, dot, 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 a billion hippopotamus, 31.7 years. Okay. 31.7 years. If you're in your early 30s, someone asks how old you are, you can say I'm about a billion seconds old. I don't recommend it, but you can do that. Okay, one hippopotamus, two hippopotamus, three hippopotamus, dot, 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 a trillion hippopotamus, 31,700 years. That gets us halfway to the number of galaxies in the observable universe, each of them having, conservative estimate here, 100 billion stars. Imagine the skies on trillions and trillions of planets. Imagine the sunsets happening at any time all over this universe. And imagine, on one of those galaxies a long time ago, Star Wars happened. But seriously, imagine how big the universe is, completely beyond our mental cognitive grasp. And then remember this, here's the key of all that, God transcends it all. He's bigger than it all, infinitely bigger than all of it. We have a tendency to shrink God down, don't we? To make him a tribal deity, to make him a pagan god. That's what we have a tendency to do. To make a god like a Zeus or an Odin figure. If you do what he likes, he'll be nice to you. If you do what he doesn't like, he'll hurt you. Let's remember that we don't serve that type of god. We serve the transcendent ground of all existence, of all galaxies, of all skies all over the universe. The ground of being, the ground of consciousness, the ground of the transcendental values, truth, goodness, beauty. But not only the transcendent creator of this universe, but also the personal God who will be in our lives and who will operate in our lives and who does that through his spirit and through his word. Who enacts that power through his word, and that's the second point today, engage with God's word. In the second section of the psalm, we read of the amazing power of the word of God. The glory seen in the skies, the power seen in the skies, is working through the scriptures. The word, this psalm tells us, changes souls for the better. It bestows wisdom. It brings joy. It enlightens the eyes. It keeps us from sin. And because of these things, it's a great reward to be cherished above 
all earthly treasures. You know, it's nice to have a cool car and a nice car. It's nice to have a, a house to live in. These are beautiful things. These are blessings from God that you can enjoy. But those things can't change you. They can't make you who you're supposed to be. But the word of God can. And that's why we cherish it even above earthly treasures. You know, there are many stories about the power of God's word operating in the lives of people. We all have them. We have them in our own biographies. We have heard them from family members and so on. I want to share one from my own family history here. My grandfather was an interesting guy. He was in the 101st Airborne in World War II. He had two Purple Hearts, jumped on D-Day, behind enemy lines, all this stuff. But some of the most interesting stories from his life aren't from the battlefield. They are from his time uh, serving as a missionary. Uh, he, he was not a full-time missionary, but he would go on mission trips to Mexico. And also from his time as a Gideon, handing out Bibles. So as a Gideon, he went to one of the most difficult places in the world, a place where they send hardened criminals, some of the worst of the worst. He was from Louisiana, and so he went to the high security, the famous high security prison down in Louisiana called Angola. Has anyone heard of Angola before? This is where they send extremely hardened criminals. And he was going to go distribute Bibles there, and he did it, uh, and he was actually assigned to go to death row. So he went to death row, and he was handing out Bibles, and he came to the first cell in death row, and he offered the man inside a Bible, a desperate criminal waiting to die. He offered him a Bible, and this guy responded with a profanity-laden speech. He cussed him out, and he said, get out of my face. I want nothing to do with this. Leave me alone. My grandfather moved on moved down the hallway, distributing Bibles to those who would take them. He turned around at the end of the hall, and as he was coming back, you can't make this up, he just saw a hand sticking out between the bars in the first cell. Something had happened in the heart of the person who had cussed him out just a few moments before as he walked to the end of the hall and came back. We know what happened. We know that the Holy Spirit was shining a light into a black heart and he knew he needed something, and he didn't want to say anything, and he just thrust his hand out between the bars of that cell. So my grandfather didn't say a prayer with him, didn't talk to him, he just put a Bible in it and left. He returned sometime later, I sense where the story's going, returned to Angola with the Gideons, and he went to a church service that was put on by the inmates, and one of the leaders was that inmate from death row. And it wasn't because of any grand preaching and it wasn't because of a conversation, and it wasn't because of anything like that. It was because he got a Bible in his hand. And remember, this is someone who wasn't entirely interested in the Bible to begin with. But he went from someone who cussed out someone who wanted to help him, to someone who wanted to use his remaining days and years to help the people around him, the other desperate people around him, because of the word of God. It converts the soul, to use the phrasing of this psalm. That's what it does. And it doesn't only convert the soul of those who need initial conversion, that is, people who become Christian. It continues to convert the soul of Christians like us, okay? If you're a believer today, that power is still there. It's still making us better. It's still working on us, and we got to embrace it and engage with it regularly. We live in a time and place in which the availability of the Bible and study helps is completely unprecedented. Do this. Imagine that you're a Christian who lived a thousand years ago, 1,500 years ago. Imagine with me. We can't read, right? We get together and we have communion with our Christian brothers and sisters and we hear the word read maybe a few times a week if we're lucky. 
And we crave that, we yearn for that because we see the power of God's word and we have it just, just a few times a week maybe, maybe once a week. Now imagine you were told in the future, people will walk around and they will have the Bible in their pocket, available at any time. And not only available at any time, but available in the vernacular of their choice, in the form of English that you prefer. We walk around and we have it with us at all times. What would you feel like if you were a Christian living back then? Wouldn't you have this holy jealousy? Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to read and to be able to just carry a Bible and look at it at any time? We live in a time of unspeakable privilege when it comes to the Word of God. And the reason I bring this all up is because I want to remind you of Jesus' chilling words in Luke 12, 48. The Lord said, to whom much is given, much will be required. We have been given much in our understanding and in the availability of the scriptures. And that means much is required of us. We need to know them, engage with them, be able to articulate them so that we have God's power in our lives, so that we can be glorifying him and serving him and serving the people around us the way that we need to be. We've got a responsibility that comes with this privilege of the availability of the scriptures in our lives. Now, I know and I'm aware that many people struggle with engaging with the scriptures. In fact, I would say all Christians do at times, okay? So if that's you, you're not a bad Christian, okay? It just means you're a normal person if you're struggling with reading the Bible, okay? There are some kind of common barriers that get in the way of Bible reading, and I wanna talk through those for just a second and talk about some ways to overcome those barriers, all right? So, before I jump into those potential barriers to engaging with the Bible and how to overcome them, let me encourage you, if you're struggling for any reason with reading the Bible right now, this week, read the 19th Psalm every day. Read it through the day. You can take out your phone and read it at any time, right? You can read it on a break. It won't take long. It'll take you less than 10 minutes to read it. It'll take you probably less than five to read it, even if you're engaging very carefully with the wording. Take it out and read it through your days. And the reason is this. If you read the 19th Psalm, you're starting to understand the motivation or the why behind engaging with God's word. You're seeing that the word through the Psalm gives light and life to our souls. It, is cher it should be cherished above the treasures of this life. It is sweet to the soul. It is an amazing thing. And you can start to understand the why, and so you can start to be motivated to actually engage with God's word. Because, of course, you need to have that motivation and need to have that understanding of why we're doing this. The 19th Psalm can help you with that understanding. So start engaging with the 19th Psalm regularly through the week. Okay, now let's talk about some of these barriers. The first and most obvious one is this. You struggle to understand the Bible. We all struggle to understand the Bible, right? And so sometimes that can become a frustration that leads to us not reading it. And that's not good. So let's talk about how we overcome that barrier of struggling to understand the Bible. First of all, and I cleared this with a pastor here, okay, so I want to say that to begin with. There are different translations of the Bible that may be easier to read for you than others. Now, you know, my, my area, my background is linguistics and communication, so I'll tell you right now, are there some translations better than others? Yes. I mean, there's some that are better than others. That's true. There's some that are more close to the original text than others. There are some that are more like paraphrases. There are, some, there are some that are more like commentaries. But the point is this. There's this continuum of Bible translations, some that are ruthlessly literal, and then some that are more kind of paraphrasing and kind of helping you understand. I recommend finding one of the translations that's not necessarily a paraphrase, but that's written in kind of modern English if you do struggle with understanding, and it will help you. 
The Amplified Bible is a very interesting one because it inserts notes within the text, and so in brackets, it has little notes, so you understand, okay, this little note isn't a part of the Bible, but it's a note to kind of help me understand the uh, descriptions around it. The New Living Translation, very readable, very readable, meant to be very readable in its prose and in, in its verse as well. So there's different translations out there. Read about them, experiment with them, and here's the thing. There are some translations that are better than others, but the best translation for you is the one that you'll read. So find that one. Next, another way to overcome this boundary of difficulty understanding. <clears throat> Don't put all this pressure on yourself to figure everything out. That's the basics of it, okay? No one opens the Bible, reads it, and gets it all. And if you put pressure on yourself to understand it all perfectly, you're setting yourself up for frustration. Just open the Bible whenever you read it, come to it humbly, and ask God to help you understand what he wants you to understand and read it and let it do its work and let God do his work through it. Don't put all this pressure on yourself to figure it all out. You don't have to. Just ask that God would work through his word, and he will. Next, this is the big barrier for me that I have over, some, to some degree overcome, but still I'm working on and still trying to overcome. My psychological take on the Bible sometimes, too often, is it's a homework assignment. It's a textbook or a manual that I have to read to accomplish something, like get a good grade from God. Y'all know what I'm talking about here, this kind of feeling, this psychological idea that it's kind of homework that you're given? Here's the problem. We don't like to do homework. If I think of it as homework, I'm less likely to do it. When I was assigned Huckleberry Finn in high school, didn't read it. It's homework. Anybody with me? Don't, don't admit it. Don't admit it. It's fine. I didn't read it, but a few years later, we, we went up, my wife and, and us and her family, we went up to Hannibal, Missouri to see where Mark Twain was from and stuff, and I was like, this is kind of cool, and I was reading, I was like, this is awesome, and then I read Huckleberry Finn, and I loved it. <laughs> like, I should have read this in high school. This is incredible. This book's awesome. And I realized at some point a few years ago, that exact attitude it was happening with my Bible reading. I was viewing it as some kind of homework assignment to please God or get a good grade in God's cosmic classroom. When in reality, this is an incredible book that can be read for pleasure and can be read to enjoy and can be read because it's God's power in my life. And I realize, you know, I read for pleasure all the time. And maybe you don't like reading, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But maybe you don't like reading, but, but we do things for pleasure. We engage with stories for pleasure all the time, TV, movies, books, whatever you like. And I thought, I can bring that attitude of my engagement with TV, movies, books to the Bible because, and here's the key here, the Bible's by far the most interesting book ever written. There's nothing even comes close in terms of entertainment value and, of course, divine power. But it doesn't matter what you're into, right? I mean, if, are you into adventure stories? I mean, the Bible is just full of them. Are you into history? We've got that. Are you into love poetry? Got that. Are you like a metal person? You're into like visions of dragons and flames? We got that too, okay? <laughs> it's all in there. It is an interesting book. It can be read for pleasure. It can be read because it's enjoyable, not only because the divine power is in it. But think about this. The Bible is something you can read to enjoy. You can read to, to, to be entertained and all that. And at the same time, it's changing your heart. It's changing your life. And God's power is flowing through it into your heart. Next, if you have trouble remembering and applying what you read. Anybody know this, this game? It's like you read in the morning, just to use an example. You read in the morning in Proverbs, read a soft answer turns away wrath, right? And you're like, that's good. When I deal with people today, if there's anybody who's mad at me, soft tone. 
two hours later. What's up, dude? You want to go? I mean, that's literally what happens, right? You, you literally violate exactly what you said you were going to do today based on your Bible reading. You all know this experience, right? <laughs> I read about this exact thing this morning and resolved to apply this to my life, and I didn't do it. All right. So if you struggle with that, or if you struggle remembering what you read, either way, there's a solution to both of those barriers, and it's this. Spend a little less of your devotional time reading and spend a little bit more of your devotional time meditating. So, so rein in the reading time a little bit and increase the meditation time a little bit. And so what do I mean when I say meditation? Well, there's a few ways you can do this. We'll use the example that I just gave, a soft word turns away wrath, all right? So we read that and we think, okay, this is important. Uh, we deal with people uh, in some of our lives who are difficult and we have to know how to answer them. And so we kind of sit for a while after we've read that and we just let that verse be in our minds and we recognize God's presence and we recognize his word and what it's teaching us and we just sit with it and just think about that. Will your mind wander? Guaranteed to wander. Bring it back. That's okay. Don't hold it against yourself when your mind starts to wander. You'll train your mind. You'll get better and better at meditation. You'll get better and better at concentrating. It'll help you in a lot of ways, actually. The other thing that you can do this is, this is very much related, by the way, to something, an ancient practice that's been lost, unfortunately, called contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is the idea, and it was very important in the Middle Ages, I would say, and even in the ancient world, in Christianity. It was the idea that you simply sit and contemplate God, contemplate his word, or just sit with God and experience him for a period of time quietly. So you're not articulating in your mind any thoughts or any words to God. You're simply sitting with him and being with him and being with his revelation and what he's shown you in his word. So if you do that, and you meditate in God's Word, you'll find that you're remembering it more, and you'll find also that it's coming to mind more frequently as you engage with your daily activities. Okay, finally, maybe you're someone here who just doesn't like to read. Maybe you're not a strong reader. Maybe, maybe you're just not very good at it. You know, I want to tell you specifically, you hate reading or you're not a very good reader, you're not a bad Christian because of that, okay? Well, let, me, let me encourage you a little bit. The beauty of the situation these days is this. Today, we can listen to the Bible read, right? You can listen to it for free. It's on YouTube. You can download it from any number of narrators, any number of voices that you like, and you can listen to the Bible as you drive or in the quiet of an evening or something like that. And it, that's an amazing privilege that we have to be able to listen to the Bible read these days at any time. Again, you can choose a voice that you find particularly soothing or particularly engaging. You like James Earl Jones? He's read the Bible, right? Here's the deal. I, I don't know if I could listen to him, though, especially when you get to the, the book of Luke. Whenever he says Luke, that's going to take me out. One more Star Wars reference for you. I'll stop there with the Star Wars references. But... That's going to take me out a little bit, but you can pick whoever you want to read the Bible, and you can have it in your car, you can have it with you on your phone, you can listen to it whenever you'd like. So the point here is this. There are barriers to engaging with God's Word. They are normal, they are experienced by all of us at times, but they can also be overcome. So we've got to be praying that we can overcome these barriers, and we've got to be doing some of these steps here that I've just described, if any of these things are you know, uh, similar barriers that you see in your own life. By the way, if you want any of these notes, any of these things that I've just described, I went through a number of barriers and, and potential solutions to those problems, let me know. I can send you these notes or we can chat about it afterwards if you'd like to chat. I'm very happy to do that. But this brings us to the final point today, which is this. 
we've got to be prayerfully engaging with God's word. And that means we've got to be, point three, humbly asking God to make us better. As I said in the introduction today, I think that this, for me, is the most important section of the psalm. The third section takes us from grand theological reflections, from engaging poetry, and it takes us into the heart of a person who says, who can even know his errors? Who can even understand? I don't even understand how I'm a sinner. (laughs) I need help in my life. I need the God who created the universe and he works through his word in my life. And so David here, under the inspiration of God, says, I'm opening myself to this God of power. I'm asking to be in my life. I'm asking him to make me better. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to do every day. Specifically within the psalm, David asks for cleansing from sin. He says, I don't even understand how much I'm a sinner. I need your help in my life to be cleansed from sin. I can't do this on my own. That needs to be a part of our daily prayers, of course, as well. And we need to pray basically, I think, exactly what David says at the end of this psalm. This needs to be a daily part of our prayers. And what I'm referring to here is this. Let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, God. That's, that's a daily prayer for sure that we need to have, right? My, my life at this point, my professional life is more or less devoted to thinking about thoughts and words. And the more I learn, the more ignorant I realize I am. But I do know this at this point. Our words and our thoughts are more powerful than we think they are. The thought patterns that we have make us who we are. The words that we use influence the people around us in phenomenal ways we can't even begin to understand. And because we are at all times wielding this power in our minds and with our mouths and with our fingers as we type, we have to have God's help in our lives to make sure that we are behaving with our communication and with our thinking in a sanctified way. We're not going to do it on our own. So we have to have the attitude of David here, which is, I'm opening myself to you, God. I'm opening my heart to you so that you can help me be better because that's what I need in my life. I want to conclude today with a discussion of the final word of the psalm. The final word here of the psalm. The final word is redeemer. That's where the psalm kind of lands. It lands on this word redeemer. And and to put it in very simple terms, the word redeemer means one who gets back, one who gets something back. And so, of course, this single word is reminding us of the gospel story, isn't it? It's reminding us that there's a God who is completely holy, completely transcendent, and that his ways are the best ways, but that we don't follow those ways. And you know, because we we serve this transcendent God who is fully wholeness and fully joy and fully goodness, by definition, any departure from that God can only lead us to destruction and sadness. And so we depart, all of us do. We all know that we've engaged with those destructive behaviors in our lives. But God wasn't satisfied to allow us to simply depart and wander from him. He got involved. As I said before, he's not only transcendent, he's personal. So not only does he get involved in the world, he becomes a man. He teaches us how we're supposed to live. And then he dies on a cross. He dies a death of torture. The God who made the trillions of galaxies bleeds to death agonizingly on a cross because he doesn't want his people wandering from him. He wants to get them back. He wants to redeem them. 
he dies, but he doesn't stay dead. Three days later, he's resurrected. The king of the universe, building his kingdom now, and we're invited to be a part of it. You may be here today and you've never decided to follow Jesus. You've never joined that kingdom before. If that's you, I wanna invite you to do that today. You can do that wherever you are right now. You can simply pray to God and say, Lord, I wanna turn from these destructive behaviors. I don't wanna be on that path anymore. I know what that path looks like. I wanna come to your ways, the ways of the transcendent good. I invite Christ into my life. I wanna follow you with my life. Welcome to the kingdom. Simple as that. Maybe you're here today and, and you've been a Christian for decades. The God who framed the cosmos is still there and he's still wanting to know you more and he's still wanting to empower you to live the life that glorifies him and helps other people even more and more and more. So the response today is the same for all of us. It's saying yes to God. So let's say a word of prayer and ask him to help us say yes.